today, as you know, I'm sure you're aware that the reason that the tabernacle is covered with a red veil is because we, the church celebrates today the feast of uh, St. Maximilian Kolbe, a uh, Polish uh, Franciscan born in Russian Poland in 1894 and who died as a martyr of charity in Auschwitz in uh, 1941, today, August 14th, 1941. And his story is uh, particularly, uh, you could say, uh, dramatic, but it had, uh, you could say, an important uh, precedent in his life as uh, a young and very pious child. He grew up uh, in a relatively poor family, and at the age of 12 years old, Our Blessed Mother appeared to him as he was praying. She she extended her hands with two crowns, a red crown and a white crown. And uh, he had been asking Our Lady what was going to become of him. And her answer was to stand there in front of him with a a red crown and a white crown. And she asked him if he was willing to accept either one of these crowns. The white one, which would signify purity, presumably apostolic celibacy as well. And the red one, which would signify that he'd become a martyr. And he looked and said, I take both. I don't know how you put two crowns, one on top of the other, but uh, (laughs) that's how he reacted as a 12-year-old. He chose both. And God granted him his wish. He began by becoming, we know, a Franciscan friar. Actually, he enrolled at the same time as his own brother. And uh, he had, uh, you could say, great intellectual capacities uh, for writing and so forth. And and he started uh, a kind of an association called the Knights of the Immaculata a kind of a Marian consecration, a kind of a movement done in order to spread what was called then uh, the print apostolate. So he started a kind of a a magazine in which he would write articles, other people would write articles about Our Lady, about uh, different Catholic subjects. He would have them translated and it was kind of you could say, to a certain degree, an early version of uh, the Internet apostolate in some way. He wanted the truths of the Catholic faith uh, to become more widespread and known uh, to many people. And, well, with very simple techniques, he would print out these first black and white uh, little magazines with some images of Our Lady, and uh, they would go out to many, many places. It started small, but it spread a lot. It was the, the print apostolate. And this he started in Poland, but very soon, as his heart began to expand, you could say, to have the faith spread throughout the world, he ended up with founding monasteries in Japan and also in India. And indeed, to this day, there are monasteries founded by him in Japan. and. That, that particular monastery is one of the most prominent monasteries in Japan, the one that was founded by him. And, of course, at one point, 
um, he he was let's say uh, though he was there in Japan and, and India in particular in Japan he began to feel ill health and there was a lot of upheaval uh, in Europe at the time in I believe it was 1930 well we know in 1939 Hitler invaded uh, Poland and um, well it would have been better for him to stay in Japan but he had because of weak health had to come back uh, to Germ to to Poland and he refused to sign a document that would recognize him as a German citizen I mean Germany had invaded Poland so everybody was recognized now as a, as a German citizen and uh, because he did have a German ancestry that area of, of Germany and Poland had traditionally sort of moved back and forth. So instead he continued to work in his monastery there in, uh, in Poland and he actually provided shelter for many refugees and among them he provided shelter for well over 200, uh, no, 2,000 uh, Jews uh, from, from German persecution. So imagine 2,000 Jews in a Franciscan monastery there. It was quite, uh, it was quite a task. And uh, he managed to receive permission to continue his religious publishing. And um, he, however, would start to write articles that had uh, anti-Nazi um, sort of exp explanations or, or dealt with, again and again, with anti-Nazi uh, questions and this of course came to the attention of the Gestapo that didn't want him to spread these anti-Nazi ideas so uh, it was in 1930, 1941 rather that he was arrested by the Gestapo he was first sent to an intern camp and eventually transferred after three months to uh, the famous uh, Auschwitz concentration camp together with many, uh, many Jews and many Christians as well many Poles, many Poles in Auschwitz. And, um, well, the Germans, of course, wanted to keep a very strict uh, control of that, uh, of that uh, concentration camp, and they wanted to emphasize that uh, anybody who even attempted an escape would not only pay with their life, but everybody else would pay. So they had a principle that any, if anybody tried to escape, they would be executed, but so would 10 other people be executed as well. And sure enough, uh, somebody tried to escape, but was immediately apprehended. And so as a punishment, they decided to, to kill at random uh, 10 of the, of the prisoners. And they just randomly chose, okay, you, 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 and you. And as they chose, they, they selected different people and they so chose a man who had a relatively large family. Uh, he was the father of a large family and he began, to, of course, to weep knowing that he would now die. And he was now selected with the others for what was called the starvation bunker. It was not just execution, but it was a starvation bunker. In other words, you would be put into this bunker where you would starve and dehydrate and just die, just die. Without being killed, you would just die. And upon seeing this man's uh, sense of uh, upheaval, uh, St. Maximilian, of course, we know the famous story how he, he presented himself and said, okay, take me, take me in the place of this man. 
this man has a family, I am celibate, I live apostolic celibacy, I do not have children of my own or wife of my own, I, I can take his place. This was, of course, quite a shock to everybody, and it was a shock certainly to the Nazis and the, the, the Gestapo there. Not the Gestapo, but the, the soldiers there. And they conferred among themselves, and they said, well, this guy wants to, wants to present himself. And, of course, there were many, many witnesses to all this. It was all written down. And they, agree, they agreed to let the other guy go. And uh, let, let him go, not kill him. And instead, uh, Maximilian Kolbe was placed in this... Um, starvation bunker and they stayed there I believe it was for 10 days and he was one of the last to remain alive and after 10 days he was still alive serene praying uh, praying the rosary comforting the other nine inmates and many of them would just drop off dead I mean and there were still some alive he was still alive and finally they just injected him with uh, a lethal injection of carbonic acid and that of course killed them immediately but um, there are famous icons that show him dressed in the famous kind of pajamas of the concentration camp where he is seen with a with a with a hypodermic needle in his in his arm showing the way he was ultimately executed and um, that's why he is patron saint of drug addicts. Mm-hmm. And today there are many people with severe drug dependencies. He's also patron saint of prisoners, people who suffer uh, prison, whether they're innocent or they're guilty. He's patron saint of families because he protected this man's family. Of course, we know he's also the patron saint of the pro-life movement. Eh? All key you could say uh, key areas that had to be defended in our time that we live in now, say Maximilian Kolbe and for myself I remember uh, I, I was received into the church on March uh, March 14th uh, 1982 and it, it was, I still remember that it was maybe the week after I was received that one of the first things I saw was a canonization. It was the first time I saw a canonization, of course, and it was the canonization by Pope John Paul II of St. Maximilian Kolbe. And our parish there, and where I was in Montreal, uh, distributed these magazines that told the story of St. Maximilian Kolbe and how he was executed and so forth. And um, that was my first uh, real experience of what it was like uh, to, to, you know, for the church to canonize a saint. And, and we saw that he gave up his life he gave up his life, literally. Mm-hmm. And so we pray today in a special way to St. Maximilian Kolbe for, of course, the, the pro-life movement, for families, for our own family, for these people that we perhaps uh, forget, for prisoners, you know, for prisoners that are, that are doing penance, that are doing atonement for, well, the prob- probably the real evils that they have done. I mean, prisons exist ultimately for the reform of those people even though as well as well as for the sake of the protection of the of the normal population but i mean the most important thing is that they reform that they convert that they atone for what they've done and maybe there are innocent people in prison so we have to pray for those as well naturally we have to pray for drug addicts which is a an enormous scourge in today's society we're perhaps not entirely privy to people who suffer that but it 
you know, it is a testament to our society that there is a large number of people who suffer that. And in today's gospel, of course, uh, we have a passage from the gospel of Saint uh, Matthew, in which our Lord, we know, talks about the key passage in which the Lord speaks precisely about the indissolubility uh, of marriage, right? and um, and the basically emphasizing that they are no longer two, but one flesh, and therefore what God has joined together, man must not separate. So they are one, they, from the beginning they are one. And the, the apostle or the, the Pharisee said, then why did Moses command that man give woman a bill of divorce and dismiss her? And he said to them, because of the hardness of your hearts, Moses allowed you to divorce your wives. But from the beginning it was not so. That was not part of the plan. Divorce was not part of, part, of, part of God's plan. They were so hard. They were so difficult. In some ways, it was better to allow divorce than otherwise they might have killed their own wives to be able to, uh, to get the wife that they wanted. So, you know, to avoid her, her being killed, the hardness of their heart, just give them, allow them divorce. But it was, it was just the people were just not ready for that yet. And uh, the Lord emphasizes the great principle of the indissolubility of marriage. And, of course, the Catholic Church is the only church that has um, maintained this or defended this in its, all its in integrity. But then he says these words, Not all can accept this word, but only those to whom that it is granted. Not all can accept this word. Some are incapable of marriage because they were born so. In other translations it says because they were eunuchs. They were physically incapable. Some because they were made so by others. They were harmed. They were damaged. They weren't born that way but they had an accident or made so by others. And then he says and then and some because they were made so and some because they, they have renounced marriage for the sake of the kingdom of heaven whoever can accept this ought to accept it she gives the different possibilities and some have you could say been given the gift of renouncing marriage for the sake of the kingdom and that is what we call the gift of celibacy celibacy it's important to remember it's not simply a choice of course it's a choice and nobody can be forced uh, to to live apostolic celibacy but it is first and foremost a gift of god god gives the gift of god the god gives the gift of uh, of of celibacy he gives the gift of marriage too and gives the graces to a couple to live out that marriage and we all far feel part of a marriage in the sense that we are children of a marriage. Mm -hmm. And uh, there are graces that come with that marriage project and that each, that is, you could say, inherit in, in, the, in the sacrament. Mm -hmm. And so, but Jesus was very innovative, you could say, in speaking about celibacy for the sake of the kingdom. Of course, already, Jeremiah had spoken about this. He was a prophet. 
during the time of the exile and he was a priest and got and most priests I mean all priests by definition had to be married but he said no no you will renounce to this you will be completely dedicated to me and uh, Jeremiah uh, dedicated himself to that you know that that was uh, particularly special and uh, it's a very special gift that we can that we can ask the Lord that he protected for well for all those that have embarked on accepting this gift and making it their own saying yes to it strengthening it and um, you could say making it more effective in our lives because ultimately the real reason for celibacy in in the church is is still based on the marriage principle uh, because our Lord Himself said that He was the spouse. Mm-hmm. He talked about the church as His spouse. He was, you could say, married to the church. You know, sometimes He talks about He being the head, we are the members of the body, in the mystical body. But He also talked about the church as being uh, His spouse. He's married to it. In some ways, we are, when we live apostolic celibacy, we are married to the church. Mm-hmm. Certainly, priests. That's why we live apostolic celibacy. It's on the one hand a total, absolute availability, but it's a it's above all a gift. God gives that gift, and therefore, if He gives a gift, He also gives uh, the grace uh, to live out that gift. And um, and certainly, somebody like Saint Maximilian Kolbe safeguarded it, promoted it, and was faithful to it all his life. So we can ask for this, well, we can ask for this gift. What, 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 do you, what do you want from me? Is this a gift that you want from me, Lord? If we're not, you could say, entirely clear. If we have that gift, we should be faithful to it. We should give ourselves over to it. Ask the Lord um, to help us be refined in it, to live that purity in a society today that often has lost a, yeah, a sense of, you could say, the value of that gift, or sees it practically as uh, impossible. And um, we ask our blessed Lord to give us this, this great grace. He will intercede, well, our blessed Mother, rather, will intercede for us, especially tomorrow, when uh, we're going to celebrate the beautiful feast of the Assumption of our blessed Mother, who was protected body and soul, and uh, she will intercede for us so that we are ultimately faithful to the gift that God has given us, whether it's the gift of apostolic celibacy, whether it's the gift of marriage, or whatever it is that God wants from us. I mean, those are the two, generally speaking, the two options, right? And, uh, and, uh, and we will be effective workers in the vineyard. I thank you, my God, for the good resolutions, affections, and inspirations you've communicated to me in this meditation. I ask you to put them into effect. My Immaculate Mother, St. Joseph, my Father and Lord, my Guardian Angel, intercede for me.